I am glad that you're here. Some of you were here last week and were part of our message last week called the qualities of a good pastor and uh, as I shared last week it's not autobiographical but I'd like to think that I do share some of those good qualities but we had uh, a intro last week and uh, it really today is part two there was just more material uh, than what I was able to cover in our time together last Sunday so this is part two the second half I would encourage if you were not here last week that you'd go out to our website, um, or if you follow us through some of our uh, podcasts, you can pick it up there. But go back and listen to last week. I think that you'll find it informative, and it will this week then will make more sense to you. So the qualities of a good pastor, if you would turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, we're looking at verses 1 through 4. Allow me to read this as you follow along. Peter says there, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You may recall in the first four chapters of this letter, Peter is addressing the concept of suffering and persecution. And so those to whom he is writing have been under persecution for some time and so he's writing to them in some ways to try to encourage them but also to acknowledge that it ain't over yet i mean that's a hard message to deliver and so he's saying you need to hang in there and persevere and here's how you can do that those are the things that he shared in the first four chapters but he also told them that you need to hang in there, but just know that it ain't over yet. There's more persecution. There's more suffering yet to come. And so he comes to this place in his letter and decides that it is necessary for him to address specifically those who are the elders, those who, in effect, are the pastors of those churches. Because, as you might could well imagine, as all of these people are enduring all of this uh, persecution and all this suffering they're turning many times to their pastor to their elder of the church and saying what's happening what's going on you know why is God doing this and what am I supposed to do and how am I supposed to handle this and I can't take much more and the pastors have to have something to say now, the pastors were not immune from the persecution and the suffering. In some cases, they were probably targeted because of who they were. And so Peter recognizes that. He was, in a sense, a pastor himself. And so he acknowledges that the pastors, the elders in those churches, need some words of encouragement. They need some words of instruction as they try to continue to lead these people, their people, through these times of persecution and suffering. Because it is the elders who are charged 
with the teaching, the feeding, the protecting of the church. And it's the elders who are accountable to God on behalf of the church. The pastors are accountable for the church. I can't help but believe that there are a lot of pastors in our country today who need to hear that and need to understand that level of responsibility that they have that they are accountable for the church he's written much about suffering for righteousness sake and they're faced daily these elders are faced daily with the responsibilities to encourage and to counsel and to teach and to love the people in effect they are called to shepherd the people through this time of persecution and he begins our passage today with so i exhort the elders among you i touched on this last week that word that is translated exhort is parakaleo and it implies coming alongside a, a helper if you will some of you may be familiar with a, another word that comes uh, from the same root, the word paraclete, which is often translated Holy Spirit, because Jesus said, I'm going to send you a helper, one to come alongside, one to take my place. And so it is the paraclete or the Holy Spirit. But here, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you. So he's saying that, you know, I understand where you are in this situation. I understand where you're coming from. I, perhaps above all people, or certainly among many, I understand what you're going through. I have a heart for what you're going through. I can identify with your suffering. I can identify with what it's like for you as a leader in the church to be responsible for the church, to be responsible for those in your care, to love them, to teach them, to counsel them in the midst of this suffering. So he says, I exhort the elders among you, but then he goes on to give his credentials so that they might understand where he is coming from. You know, many of us have had situations where you know, you got somebody who's trying to give you advice, who's kind of trying to tell you about a particular subject, but what's that question in our mind? What do you know about it? What do you know about that subject? What do you know about that situation? What do you know about being in these circumstances? Because the truth is that we are more prone to listen to somebody who's been there. Somebody who's had a similar experience. Somebody who has struggled with those same problems. And so he tries to help them understand where he's coming from, and he defines himself as a fellow elder. You understand what you're going through because I've been where you are. I too am an elder. I too am a pastor. And I know what it's like to have people coming to you persistently struggling with the suffering and the persecution, and they're crying out to you as the spiritual leader among them and saying, what am I supposed to do? So he says, I am a fellow elder. 
He also says, I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now this certainly adds some credibility because on the one hand, he's declaring himself to be an apostle in that he was there when Jesus died. He was an eyewitness to the death of Jesus. He was a witness to the suffering that Jesus endured. And so he is able to identify with the suffering. And then, in a sense, he's saying also that just as you are suffering, so Jesus suffered. I witnessed that. I witnessed his suffering, and I'm witnessing your suffering. And so I understand where you're coming from. And then, lastly, as part of his credentials, he's not only just an elder, he's not only a witness to the sufferings of Christ, but he says, I also. I'm a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. I'm a fellow brother in Christ. I believe. I believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior just as He is yours. And so I am an elder. I'm a pastor. I'm a witness of Christ's suffering. And I share with you in my belief that Jesus is the Messiah that He died, was buried, and rose again, and now sits to the right hand of the Father, ever interceding on our behalf. I am a believer. I'm a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So those are His credentials. So He goes on in our passage in verse 2, and begins His instructions to them, that as an elder, as one who has witnessed the suffering of Christ as a fellow believer, he says, shepherd the flock. In the midst of all of this persecution, in the midst of all of this suffering, stay focused on your job. Stay focused on what it is that you've been called to do. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Don't be distracted by all of the other things going on around you. Don't lose sight of your real purpose and why you're here. Shepherd the flock of God among you. It's interesting that he uses the word shepherd there. People of that time were living in an agrarian society, and so they were farmers. They raised livestock. Many of them probably were real shepherds. And so they understood the terminology, they understood the analogy, they understood what it meant to be a shepherd. And so he's trying to draw this parallel there that just as you imagine, just as you know what it's like to have to care for sheep, so you should take care of those who God has given you to lead. There's a great book that was written many years ago. Some of you may have read it. It's by a man named Philip Keller. The title of the book is A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. It's a bit of a classic, um, one that I read early in my life with Christ, and I, and I feel blessed to have had that opportunity because it's a relatively short book, but the whole book examines this concept of what the life of a shepherd is like, and what it's like to tend sheep. And so he talks uh, at some length about how, you know, slow, mentally slow that sheep are, 
and how much care that they require, that they require constant care and protection. They, unlike many animals, you know, many animals, if they get lost, they have some sort of innate ability to find their way home. There's been movies made about dogs, you know, that wander off and then they eventually find their way back home. Mine can't do that. I don't know what's wrong with mine. They're missing that dog gene or something. If they get past the mailbox, they're lost. Kind of like me. But sheep are not that way. They easily wander off and they get lost. And they find themselves in trouble. And they don't seem to be able to know how to find food or to find water. They need their shepherd to do everything for them. And so in this book by Philip Keller, he says, It is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock. Endless attention and meticulous care. And so as Peter writes to these elders and he says, Shepherd the flock, then it's clear to them what he means. Stay focused on what you've been called to do. Shepherd the flock. Some of you may remember the parable in Luke 15 where the shepherd leaves the 99 to rescue the one that had wandered off. And so it is with us. We are prone to wander. I'm not, remember, I'm not remembering which hymn it is, but it's one of the hymns that, that, that's one of the verses is that, Lord, I know that I am prone to wander. And so it is with us that we are like sheep. We need a shepherd to guide us, to provide for us, to protect us, and sometimes to rescue us. And so it was with those who were constantly being persecuted and were struggling and were suffering. And so Paul, I mean, Peter writing to those elders says, first and foremost, shepherd the flock. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. And so all throughout Scripture, we see this analogy that we, the people that God created, He knows us. In fact, He knows us so well that He knows that we are like sheep, that we need a lot of attention, that we need instruction, we need counsel, we need protection spiritually. So Peter instructs the elders, shepherd the flock of God among you. I want you to pay particular attention here to the second part of that because what it says is shepherd the flock of God. He doesn't say shepherd your flock. You would think it would just seem natural that he would say, "All right, elders, you pastors, you need to you need to shepherd your flock." But that's not what he says. He says, the flock of God. You see, I think it's significant because pastors need to understand that they don't own the church. 
that they are there as a spiritual leader at the will of God. And those that they are called to lead are really not their flock. They're really God's flock. Many should understand that we as pastors are called to lead not our flock, but God's flock. The shepherd is taking care of God's sheep. In fact, a little further down we'll see that in verse 3 it refers to those in your charge. Those who have been entrusted to you. Those people within your church who have been entrusted to you, they belong to God, they are God's sheep, and they are being entrusted to you that you might shepherd them, that you might lead them, that you might counsel and teach and protect them spiritually. It is God's flock. So back to our text here, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight you see it's not about power or control the position of a pastor is perhaps the the last thing that would be about power and control it's about accountability it's about stewardship it's about being entrusted with god's resources god's sheep And being accountable to Him for how you handle that responsibility. 1 Timothy chapter 3 says, If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. But we see also in the book of James chapter 3, where James cautions and says, Not many of you should become teachers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So it is a noble task. But it is one that carries much responsibility. And a heavy weight of accountability. For the pastor is accountable for the church. So Peter goes on and he gives three positives and three negatives. Remember, our message is entitled, Qualities of a Good Pastor. And I want you to have the information that you need to evaluate what is a good pastor. You need to hold me accountable. You need to make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But also, part of my responsibility as a pastor is to train you and instruct you in spiritual things. And let's face it, you know, one day... You may not be here anymore. You may find that because of your job or some other circumstances, it calls you away to go somewhere else. We know people who have been in our family, our church family, that have been called away. They got another job or they ended up having to move to be closer to family or something. And many of you may find that situation in your own life and when you go somewhere else and you're looking for a church and you're looking for a pastor I want to make sure that you are equipped to be able to assess what are the qualities of a good pastor 
You need to look for something more than just hairstyle. You need to look for something more than just, are they wearing cool clothes? Are they just friendly? You need to look into God's Word and see what God has to say about what are the qualities of a good pastor. And I think Peter gives us some insight to that. He gives us three positives and three negatives about elders, about pastors or overseers. He says, shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, but not under compulsion, but willingly. You need to do it for the right reason. Don't do it for the money. (laughs) I'm sorry, that tickles me. Don't do it for the money. (laughs) Well, that's true, though. You know, a lot of pastors will. Am I right? You probably know stories of pastors that get paid this some huge salary. Uh, You all probably heard not too long ago, I heard about some pastor somewhere that was asking the congregation to give money toward a jet so that he could fly around the country and stuff. So there are some, I'm sure, that, that do it for the money. So shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Don't do it for the money. Don't do it for the wrong reason. Don't do it because somebody is forcing you to do it. Don't do it under coercion. Don't do it because somebody talked you into it. You know, I think that I've, I've seen people, you all remember that uh, show that used to come on TV where people would get up there and sing American Idol? Remember that? People would get up there and sing. If you've ever watched that show, I think probably the funniest part is early on when they're auditioning and some of these people cannot sing. Okay, I remember early in one of the early seasons, uh, I can't remember the guy's name that was on there, that he was always the one that just spoke the truth. You know, I mean, he would, people thought he was rude and stuff, but he would just speak the truth. He would tell them the truth. And I remember seeing one episode where this person got up there and they simply could not sing. And he was very honest with them. And he said essentially that, you know what, the problem is that you've been told all your life that you can sing by well-intentioned people, but nobody ever loved you enough to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth. You cannot sing. And I think that some people end up in ministry, full-time ministry, because maybe their mom or their grandmother or somebody told them that they ought to go into ministry. And they get coerced into doing it. Not willingly, not because they truly feel called by God to serve in that capacity, but they're doing it out of compulsion. They're doing it for the wrong reason. And God will not bless nor honor that. So he says, shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. He says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Don't do it for the money. Don't do it for the notoriety. Don't do it so that you can be a celebrity. Don't do it so people will buy all your books. Not for shameful gain. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You know, there are some people who just hunger for power and control. It doesn't matter where they get it. It doesn't matter how they get it. 
And some find their way into a church setting where they realize that, hey, you know what? I can be the pastor of a church and I can call the shots. I can be in charge. I can have all the power. I can tell people what to do and they have to do it because I'm the pastor. That doesn't work, by the way. But uh, some people, that's why they get called. They feel called into ministry, not by God, but because of their own own desires for power and for control. And so he recognizes that and he says, that's not the person as an elder that you should be. You should shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, why in the world would anybody desire to be in such a role? Oftentimes, it is a thankless job. It can be a depressing job. I mean, think about you do funerals and you go visit people in the hospital and you sit at the side of people who are dying. And it it, it sometimes can be kind of depressing. For the most part, it doesn't pay well in the sense that among many jobs, it doesn't pay a lot of money. If done correctly, it should not lead to notoriety Why in the world would somebody choose to become a pastor? Well, among those things that we've already looked at, perhaps the most important that seems to kind of weave its way through all of this is the heart of the man. Is he doing it for the right reasons? Has he truly been called into the service of God as an elder, as a pastor, to shepherd God's flock. And if so, Peter encourages those elders with these words. He says, shepherd the flock of God. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's reason enough. That alone is reason enough that I might run the race, that I might be victorious, that when all is said and done and I arrive before my Lord, that He might say, well done, good and faithful servant. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of of glory. I trust that these principles from God's Word will give you better insight to the responsibility, the charge of an elder, a pastor, that you will use these principles to hold me accountable. And perhaps more importantly, That if the Lord ever leads you from this place, that you would use these principles as a guide, as a job description to evaluate someone else that you might put yourself under. That if you are going to entrust yourself spiritually to someone, I think it's important 
that you evaluate them not against some criteria that you've established, again, not based on the way they look or act, not if they're just charming, but that you would evaluate them on the only thing that matters, and that is on what God has to say. Let's pray. Father, you yourself are a blessing to us. That, Father, it is our sin that separates us from you. It is our sin. And, Father, the death of Christ on the cross, his death and resurrection and ascension are a means to an end And you sent your Son to die for us so that we might be reunited to you. That by his death, by his sacrifice, that our sin might be taken away so that we might be reunited to you. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that we would glorify you that by the reading of Your Word, by the teaching of Your Word, that we might glorify You. By singing Your praises, that we might glorify You. By being the hands and feet of Jesus in the midst of our church family, that we might glorify You. Father, each of us are called to some responsibility not everyone is called to be a pastor but father everybody is needed in the family of god you've called all of us here for a purpose that we are here in this body of christ to serve in some way pray that you would help us to see what that is and that we would serve diligently eagerly faithfully that we would serve with a happy heart. Father, thank you for your word that instructs us, that encourages us. Thank you for our time together this morning. I lift these things up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.